Before I get into the overview of this episode, I want to plug my first ever listener survey that is currently up on the podcast website, designedu.today. While Google Analytics is great for telling me how many people are listening, I can only guess to who is listening to the podcast, and I really want to know. My hope is to get a better understanding of the who, what, when, why, where, and how of my listener's relationship to the podcast. This will allow me to adjust or grow the podcast in meaningful ways or discover that I should just leave it alone. So please fill out the survey. If you leave your email address, you'll be entered into a drawing for a free copy of my forthcoming book, Browsers, um, Devices, and Fonts. Okay, now on to the episode introduction. In episode 64 of Design EDU Today, Heather Quinn, professional lecturer at DePaul University, joins me to discuss the differences between skinning and designing, her journey from pre-responsive web design to post-responsive web design, and what she's teaching in the classroom. Heather also discusses how she is using a grant to help determine the best practices in web design to update DePaul's curriculum. Hello, and welcome to Design EDU Today, the bi-weekly podcast series discussing the necessary competencies to be a successful designer in a contemporary, screen-based, interactive world. I am your host, Gary Rosance, Assistant Professor of Graphic Design at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Today's guest is Heather Quinn. Heather is an interdisciplinary artist, designer, and writer who also goes by the persona at Louise451. At Louise451, as an entity, uses corporate tools in unintended ways and as a means to both explore and disseminate her work. Using the guise of a persona to work as a chameleon, she explores the dichotomies of design and humanity, as well as the ambiguous space in between. She plays with themes of human and machine and concepts of transparency, including public versus private and reality versus fantasy. Heather teaches design at DePaul University in Chicago. She previously taught at the Rhode Island School of Design, where she received her BFA in graphic design. She has worked as a designer for over 22 years at agencies including Sapient Razorfish, Fitch, and Essential Design. She opened her own design practice in 2001 and has created award-winning work for hundreds of clients including MIT, Harvard, the United Nations, Forrester Research, and Open Pediatrics. Welcome, Heather. Hi, Gary. Hi. Thanks for being a guest. I, I really appreciate it. Can you briefly talk about, or you know, take as long as you want, talk about your design path from RISD to DePaul in the context of the type of design work you were doing? Mm, okay. 
Um, so RISD, I graduated in 96. <laughs> so, you know, some of my internships I had during school, we were actually doing mechanicals. I remember doing mm-hmm. mechanicals for Disney Christmas ornaments. Um, but right around graduation, there started to be email. This is making me feel really old. Um, <laughs> so email came around and then the internet. Um, and in my first jobs, I was doing things like, um, traditional branding, package design, um, a lot of package design actually. And I worked for a company called Fitch and they were known as one of the first multidisciplinary firms because they had, um, they actually would design like the coffee machine. Then they would design the interface for the coffee machine. We would design the package design, uh, or all the sort of associated collateral items. And then the, um, architecture part would design what the store would look like, for example. So they did a lot of like JBL speakers and various coffee pots, things like that. Um, and so I feel like that, uh, experience really molded a lot of where I am today because it, it allowed me to think at a pretty high level. Um, even though I worked in the silo of commu- communication design when I was there. Um, and so I continued to work at a lot of more, uh, brand design firms. And then around 99, I got recruited from a place called Sapient is now called Sapient Razorfish owned by Publicis. Uh-huh. Um, and so I worked, um, as a designer and when I went there, they were, um, still pretty tech consulting, like kind of like a McKinsey or, you know, I'm not sure what you would call it, but all the design studios, when I left to go there, oh, you're making a huge mistake. Why would you go work at a place like that? Um, But I was really tired of kind of the hierarchy and the, a lot of the ways that traditional design firms worked. And I didn't feel like I had enough mentorship and I wasn't learning enough business skills. Um, And so I took a risk and I went to this place um, because a couple of my friends were already there and liked it. A couple of my friends from Fitch, actually. Um, and so, like most people who worked in internet space in 99, um, it was a big, messy time, but kind of amazing as well, because you had, you know, engineers and product designers and graphic designers and, you know, soon-to-be information architects kind of all figuring out how to do things, what their roles were, Um And so, and, you know, I mean, like a lot of the websites I worked on were the first time a company ever had a website. So Mm -hmm. we worked on like Chase Manhattan Bank and stuff for Lotus. And um, so that was amazing to know. Lotus Notes. Right. Like you create, and we were doing actually apps for them, like messaging apps and things. So, Mm -hmm. um, and I think being there, I, I, you know, you learned things like um, business strategy skills, how to run a meeting, uh, how to give reasoning for your design, um, and work on these, these really big teams. Um, and I think in the early days of that, uh, designers, graphic designers were often skinning things and not really playing, um, more strategic roles that people who had engineering backgrounds were in. And that, that really bothered me. Um, so I worked pretty hard to, um, to kind of learn. I, I actually didn't learn how to code well or anything like that, but I really learned how to think. Um, and how to understand these these really big problems. So how to go into a meeting and ask the right questions, how to understand who to ask for what or how everything connected. Um, and so I feel like, again, those two, kind of those two first jobs were pretty, they molded a lot for me. I feel lucky to have sort of been in those spaces. Um, and then, you know, I like lots of little roles in between, but I ended up leaving um, Sapient and starting my own business, which... I really had from like 2001 until 2013. Um, and a lot of my uh, clients actually came from them. So projects for them that were too small. 
um, or they would bring me on to projects as a contractor um, and then other other big clients as well. So I worked as uh, running my own business. At one point, I had four employees um, for a long time, and it, it, it ended up being um, a pretty great um, thing to do, especially as I had children. Um, I could be a working mom and run my own space and hire help when I was busy and things like that. Um, so that was interesting. And then when I – and during that time, um, because I had web skills, I ended up um, adjunct teaching at, at RISD where I went to school. So I started teaching pretty young. Um, I taught primarily web design, but then I started teaching other things while I was there. So I was always teaching. I just wasn't a full-time teacher. And then when we moved to Chicago in 2013, I think that's when we moved, um, I was still running my own business, uh, but was kind of getting tired of it. A lot of the people that I had worked with were doing different things. I was having to fly. I was flying to Seattle and to some other places for clients, just ready for a change. So I had seen um, DePaul's posting for a full-time role, applied, really liked the people I met with. And so now I'm entering my fourth year of, of actually full-time teaching. So even though I'm pretty experienced um, in general, I'm, I'm still fairly new to full-time teaching, which as you know, is quite different than adjuncting, especially mm -hmm. when you move from an art school to a university. Um, so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that is like me summarizing 22 years in however, five minutes. Um, no, but I, there's a ton of, and that's what, so for the listeners, um, I was, uh, the, the reason I found you was because of, you know, DePaul hosting design incubation. Right. And I was initially going to interview you about that. But then when I started like looking at your history and everything I was like, holy crap, because you are like the perfect case study <laughs> of <laughs> like the evolution of design. I mean, it has yeah. happened. It, it started when you first graduated and yeah, you've like lived it. <laughs> I know so, it's it's kind of weird, right? To feel like you're living history. And I think, I mean, I look at myself and I think, am I actually that old? I feel like I've lived multiple lives, right? Like even just in the workspace. So it's, um, yeah, that's, it's kind of weird. And I, and I feel like, I don't know if like you, but I'll think back to, to the dot com times and mm -hmm. it feels like the gold rush. I mean, it just feels like I lived to this part of history that was a mess and also equally amazing to have experienced that feels, I don't know, just, um, this feels kind of special to me. I have really great memories of those times. So, yeah. well, I um, don't think a, it's, it's not your age. And, and, <laughs> I, and I'm going to say that because, and I tell my students this all the time, the iPhone came out in 2007, but the media queries didn't come out until 2010 full on browser adoption of media queries didn't really like roll out until 2011 2012 so we're now talking about a profession being able to do responsive web design yeah is six years old everything happens so fast yeah and so like there's been zero time to like i mean how long has print been around <laughs> right i know if, if we haven't figured out best practices by now in print design there's a problem with us uh, yeah yeah <laughs> whereas and so i think that's what makes it feel like super old because right. like the, the 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 velocity which it's evolving but at the same time it's also why it's but it's not really that old 
I mean, and it's interesting too, just to think about that when it was first happening, like no one made web style guides. So you made these big web style guides, but now they're just built in. Mm -hmm. But I think what's interesting to think about now, and there was a great article in dialectic where it's with two opposing sizes about sides about web. I mean, now everything's so homogenous because there's everything's a system, right? Everything's mm -hmm. so systematized to make it easy, but it's super boring. Um, so yeah, it's just even interesting to see that evolution across the 20 years or however long it's yeah, been. Yeah, the, so. the design systems. So the, yeah. you're, not, you're not a fan? Um, no, I'm, I'm mixed. I mean, I think yeah. the systems make things great for accessibility, for ease to democratize design. So everybody can design, but that's also a curse too because then you have people designing who really don't have the background or the skills to do it and are putting stuff out there that's maybe not serving a very good purpose or, or being helpful. Um, and I think everything looks very much the, the same. I mean, it's kind of the problem with design thinking too is it's leaving, it's trying to just make everything so easy, but it's leaving very little room for new thinking or creativity. Um, and so these are like not fully formed thoughts, but things that kind of go through my head about, you know, I guess where we're at with all of it, you know? Yeah. Well, I, in my personal take on it is that they are not, they are not inherently good or bad. Yeah. It is the implementation of it. So as everybody says, you know, in design, we're problem solvers. You know, we, <laughs> we work what we work really well with constraints. So the design system is the constraint, make right. it interesting. <laughs> but yeah. if the design system is done, you know, built, Fun, it's fundamentally sound, there will be some coherence <laughs> right. to it, but you should be able to. And so that's, that's kind of how I see it. So with the design system, that's what the industry is going towards. Right. But is design education preparing students to not just be skinners of that system, and I love that term that you said. I know. Or are we teaching them to use that design system in better ways? And and quite frankly, I don't even think we're even teaching them what systems are. No, <laughs> to all of that. Yeah, that's the million-dollar question, right? Mm -hmm. And, I, of course, like you, I think about that all the time. Like, how can I teach students everything that they possibly need to know, right? Are you supposed to, like teach them like a whole slew of skills, but then they come out and they're not the best visual designer. Should they stay kind of siloed, but they, you know, dip their feet into all these parts. And there's no easy answer for that. Probably depends on the structure of the school. Right. Um, but I feel like I really try to make projects where they, they have to, um, think about form and systems, but the content of the project has them thinking about uh, more global things, right? And especially ethical things. Or mm -hmm. um, so I think of that as like making with meaning. So um, projects that just have them have to think, right? Um, answer big questions, think globally, um, and things like that. So I think everybody, I mean, we know everybody's trying to figure this out right now. And even things like, you know, um, if you're, you know, everything's moving into voice or a lot is moving into voice. What part do designers play on that? Are they just designing the interface or do they need to understand UX for voice? I don't have an answer for that either, but I think about it uh, a lot. <laughs> this is an overgeneralization, 
but I think most design curriculums across the United States generally have one, maybe two web interactive, however you want to label it courses. Yep. And the faculty who teach those courses are saddled with teaching everything that yeah. a, a student needs to know in those two courses to get a, you know, to get, you know, to be yeah. qualified for maybe 80 to 90% of the jobs that are out there now. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Yes. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you've like, you're a perfect bridge. I mean, and so I'm like in the same boat as you, I, I could be technically be the bridge, but I spent more, more of my time on the academic side of it where you, right. you had your toes dipped in, seeped in both but more right. towards the professional side, like how much of that, tr of that print design stuff, how much is applicable? Oh gosh. I mean, I guess, you know, in a weird way, I don't really separate print and what I don't like separate the parts of design very okay. much at all. To me, it's just design. Mm -hmm. So you're, you kind of said problem solving. Um, I'll think, okay. And this probably comes from being in consulting, right? Like client comes or, artist comes or who are, it doesn't always have to be business facing. Right. But mm -hmm. client comes and they, and here's where they're at. Like you ask them, where are they at in this space? What are they trying to do better? What would they like to do in five years? Uh, maybe they have a vision of what they think or how design can help them, but it's, it's obviously bigger than just design, right? So many other things. So asking those questions and then formulating things to help them achieve those goals. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, you don't really do that in a classroom. Maybe, maybe we should, um, exactly. more like strategic thinking. Right. I mean, I guess some upper, uh, upper level electives, you do a little bit of that. Um, but to me, at least a good design program or a willing designer who starts working in this space, ultimately they've learned a way of thinking and making and visual and showing a vision for something. So, Really good designers to me could become a pastry chef. They could become entrepreneurs like Airbnb. They're from mm -hmm. RISD. They could become anything because they know how to think. Yes. Um, so <laughs> okay. then how do you put that into curriculum, right? No. Um, okay. So um, to, to drag this out for me a little bit more. So, mm. okay. So you have to ask because you ran a business. So you're asking all these business questions that right. – inform the design right mm -hmm. so yep. when, when we're in the classroom this we're not having the students ask those questions or are you and otherwise then they're just becoming skinners like you said yeah i actually do have them ask the questions okay um, how at least in my web class so mm -hmm. uh, i've taught web at depaul maybe a handful of times and i don't have it perfect yet and we only have 10 weeks. Um, mm -hmm. But typically when I do it, they're redesigning a website or an app or something. But I have them start with researching user, you know, various forms of ethnographic research, competitive analysis of the field, inspiration, um, how do they fit into this uh, vertical space, uh, wireframing, journeys, process flows, uh, design, and, and evaluating the current state of the brand if the brand already exists. So I, I shove a lot of stuff into mm -hmm. the class, um, and then they have, you know, they maybe get to design a certain number, number of templates. Mm -hmm. um, so I try to 
give them that kind of thinking. But again, it's only in 10 weeks. So it's not really enough time. Um, and then as a result, I feel like their visual designs are only okay. Yes. Um, I like ideally I would teach that over 20 weeks. Like first part is, you know, more like you would if you were actually working on a big site or something. And then you'd, you'd actually consider the full digital experience. How does this translate to other parts? Um, so I don't know. These are all things I'm thinking about all of the time. And then I was trying to think if when I'm teaching like a more foundational class, how am I, how am I approaching that higher level thinking? Because I know I am. I just don't know if I've ever articulated it before. I'm definitely not just having them look at form, even mm -hmm. though it's an intro to visual design. I'm having them think. Um, I never, I'm never very focused on the tool that they use. So if we do an animation, um, we do this like six second animation of a point line plane. I don't care if they build it in stop motion. I don't care if they build it in PowerPoint or an animated PDF. I just care they articulate their ideas. Uh, because for me, in when I was working, the important part was that you had a good idea and the tools are always changing. So if, and if you had to find someone to help or find someone who could make your idea better and advocate for that, then because the idea is good, I feel like that's, it's a really important skill to have. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it, it, it totally makes sense. And so here, here comes the flip like side that I keep coming back to and it has to do with, okay, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure that in a curriculum, I'm not sure that we're teaching that thinking like, you know, I think we're training just for them to be skinners and this is holistically across the, you know, entire curriculum. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But you just said it, you know, like designers are becoming entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. So that means like, so if we, so fundamentally, I think we're doing something very right or we wouldn't have so many designers becoming entrepreneurs. Right. Because so we're, we're, so we are training thinking by doing these this basic visual exercises. I mean, and so I'm worried. I'm, so I'm wondering like, what is it about that we are doing now? that is making prolific entrepreneurs and what is going to be the domino effect if we, I guess mm. maybe lack for a better term is, what if we do get really like UX UI focused design? Does that take away the entrepreneurial spirit? Oh, I don't think so. I mean, okay. for me, UI UX is so business centric to begin with, uh, mm -hmm. user business centric that you learn a lot of skills from that. I mean, I would say I learned a lot of my business skills from the people who are playing that role of information architect because they're having to think of think of those things. So, but I guess what I fear is that um, when, like I said, when things become too systematized, you lo lose raw, kind of raw creativity or the ability to look at things in a new way and say, mm -hmm. well, the system doesn't work. Like it needs to be re rethought somehow, right? I don't know. I'm kind of thinking, well, I'm thinking about the skinning factor too. And uh, like, for example, I think what, what really bothers me is you see a lot of business schools now doing design thinking. And mm -hmm. I, like, I even see it at DePaul where suddenly they've had, they're having like the business school has this big design contest going on and who can launch the best product. And they have so much funding and so much money and all these business people are doing quote design, but it's mm -hmm. not really well done. Yeah. Uh, but yet they make it happen a lot more than our students do. Um, and maybe, maybe that's okay. I don't know. But a lot of times I, f I feel sort of angry about it. Um, 
and or maybe jealous or maybe like should should we be doing that or should we not like what's our what's the right role but i guess i guess what it is is i want our students to have some of those skills so that when they have a great idea it's them that's launching it not someone who has a business degree just because they knew how to do it does that do you know what i mean yes um, i am crazy frustrated i was actually going to give a talk at umbc about i called it um I uh, just demystifying design thinking because I, I right. am just sick and tired of the way businesses have co-opted totally a, a design process that to me started back in product design and architectural design. Yeah. A bazillion yeah. years ago of just like a methodology of making sure you're making the right product for the right user. <laughs> Right. Whether right. that's the potato <laughs> peeler or whether that's yeah. a banking app. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm 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 totally like, like you said, frustrated, jealous. <laughs> right. Like, does it really even matter? I'm 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 so in that camp where I can't. I know, quite, and it. But, yeah. I mean, part of it is like the fun, they get the funds, um, mm -hmm. you know, and then the really smart schools, like I'm, I mean, I don't know for a fact, but a Carnegie Mellon or an MIT or Stanford, which I don't totally think of as a design school, they, yeah. I mean, they get money. Um, and they're, I'm sure they're teaching some version of design thinking. RISD does not, I still don't think they teach design thinking, but you certainly learn how to conceptualize and think, although I didn't get any, I don't, I didn't get any business school skills there. Yeah. Um, and I, maybe that's okay. Um, because I don't know, I got it. I got them elsewhere, but maybe I was lucky. Well, I mean, did you, have you read Dan Pink's book, the whole new mind? No, I haven't um, even heard of it. Yeah. I'll add it to my list. Read it. Cause it's, um, it's like preaching to the choir, mm -hmm. but the way he kind of, ex I mean, the, the whole idea is that, in his book, he crystallizes design thinking, this creative problem solving, why designers are better at it is just that, you know, that point line plane project that you talked about. Right. The act of doing that, that is nonlinear problem solving. Totally. That, yeah. and, and so it's, and so you do an enormous amount of that across the four years of your design right. curriculum that makes you that makes you better able to solve <laughs> problems Problem. yeah interesting and, it, right. and it's really simple as that and so then i look at those like you know ibm saying we do design thinking and all these other things that are saying doing design thinking like no you you're just co-opting a process right. you can't have design thinking skills if you haven't done design <laughs> or right. like art, it's just like this idea of like creative problems, like, like these like little exercises, like over the course of a really long time. Yeah. Anyway, so that's my and little... the design thinking. I mean, design thinking is good, mm -hmm. but it only gets things to a certain point. I, exactly. I think. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm just, I, I'm thinking a lot too about, um, there's a book, uh, maker centered learning. Mm hmm. And they talk about how like companies now, like students are so systematized in their K-12 ed and even a lot of college mm -hmm. ed that they can't just tinker and make things up or make believe or see things in a new way. And I feel like that still happens in art school. 
um, which is really, really important. And so and to, to me, design thinking works kind of against that um, yes. in a lot of ways. And I'm, I'm so, I sound like I'm crapping all over design thinking, but I actually use it and I like it. I just think it's not the only way. Um, and I was thinking about a conversation I had about process with my intro visual design students where I said, does, does, does anyone know what process is? What's your process? And someone said, well, I feel like I should have a vision and then execute it. And I said, no, some people do, but I don't. I said, I actually find my discoveries through making. I have to be making to determine mm -hmm. what it's going to be. I said, but, uh, and it's really this whole, whole conversation about how what you just said, nonlinear or that everybody's process is, can be different. Um, and, and you get equally good results depending on, on who you are, or if you, maybe you sketch through writing, maybe you sketch through drawing, maybe you sketch on an iPad, you know, um, maybe you don't even sketch, maybe you start backwards, you know, I don't know. So, um, the, the thinking about process or nonlinear making is, is really important to understand. Yeah. And, and I think that's my problem with like corporations or, the business side who are like all excited about this design thinking because they're trying to make it into right. a process. Yeah. And you really can't make, it is a process for creatives to like systematize the creative process. But if you don't already yeah. have the creative process, <laughs> right. <laughs> you, yeah. there's nothing to systematize. Right. I know. I so know. That's, anyway, that's yeah. how I see it. So that's where, I, I design thinking as a thing. It's just a, a research method. To me, it's just a research method for designers that can be yeah. applied to yeah. other things. If you have that non linear problem solving skill set already. Right. Right. Okay. And but. then, <laughs> and then I'm thinking about, uh, business too. Like I, I think a lot about, cause I think I teach it because I have it. So it, especially in upper level electives that are more, practical in nature. I'm teaching some of those business skills, but, um, you know, do they have a class is how is it folded in or not? I don't know. I think about that a lot. Um, I was potentially going to teach creative entrepreneurship in our business school and mm -hmm. probably will at some point in the future, which I think would be interesting to teach business students mm -hmm. <laughs> and see what that's like. Um, I've never done that before. Oh, I have. Cause I did that. I, I, I did a class for design thinking for the social entrepreneur because <laughs> I knew that it would be like a totally sexy sell because of the name. Yeah, um, of course. And, and I had business students in it and right. um, they did fine. Yeah. And, and in fact, I think they were kind of more open to it than some of the, the designers that were in the course. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> that's interesting. Because um, I think the designers came into it like with an attitude of, look, I'm already a designer. Right. <laughs> um, but so they had the nonlinear problem solving skills, but they didn't have the, the system to, to utilize it better, I right. guess. Anyway. Um, so, so I'm teaching interact. I'm, so I'm teaching web design. I've, I've got my one course and okay. I start. So where I struggle with, cause I, I start with, I have my students start with the beginning with like client discovery meeting. Mm -hmm. And then it goes all the way through until they create a clickable prototype in Envision or XD and they present yeah. that to the client. So where, oh, where I have trouble is where to introduce information architecture, where to introduce 
you know, like content inventories. And I'm not like, I'm not spending a ton of time on it. Right. Because I don't think they need to know how to do it at a, like a super duper level. But they they, need to know what it is. Exactly. And so I struggle with, it's the where, because the information architecture like informs the wire framing yeah. But I mean, but it, it's happening simultaneously because these are probably. Right. So what do you think about that? Like where, like, what would your be? You know, I feel like the way I probably teach it isn't necessarily the right way. It's like the way that I learned how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so, and I'm thinking about the content part too, because a designer who understands content, like can really set themselves apart and content drives everything. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do have them do a little bit of understanding, um, content systems, nomenclature, voice and tone. Like I'm talking like half a class because we don't have time for more than that, but at least then I know they understand it's something to consider. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I feel like I have them doing content stuff and we're doing like really basic marketing sites in this web class. We have, we don't have a class with more advanced things yet, like big backend apps or anything like that. But Um, I have them doing content and IA stuff, uh, sort of like organizational models at the same time. And then they'll move into wireframes. Um, and then they're kind of looking at branding a little bit while they're doing their wireframes. Um, so because they can, they might know the color systems already, or at least they know the brand attributes so they can determine what colors might be appropriate. So I have them do a lot of stuff kind of simultaneously. Um, (laughs) and then... And then move forward with that. But same thing with the tools. Like we're not using Sketch yet and we should be. Uh, probably we'll introduce that very soon. Um, but a lot of times if they want to do wireframes with Sharpie marker, they want to do them in Illustrator, or they want to do them in Visio, I don't really care. Um, because it's such a because it's just a basic marketing site. I think if we were doing more complicated stuff, um, which they do a little bit more in our UXD major than um, then we should, then we would be, but soon, soon enough, I hope. You know what? I'm going to jump cause you bit of serendipity and oh, it's, <laughs> okay. the, it's the sketch question. Yep. So I'm bringing it up because literally, um, this past Thursday, I took some of my students to a design firm and all semester I, I've been harping on like students use anything but XD and yeah. <laughs> And so my students asked because they want to use XD. And so the firm made me rethink my, my thinking on this to a point. Um, So they asked the question, he's like, you know, we've historically, we've been using sketch, but we've been playing around with XD. And the, and the reasoning was they already have to buy a, a creative cloud subscription. Yeah. And smart. now that it now that XD is free for developers, you know, you can get just XD for free. They don't have to pay for separate sketch licensing, you know, like upgrades once a year. Okay. And I was like, crap. I knew that was going to happen. But I noticed but they're still using Envision for their clickable prototypes. Uh, interesting. Yeah. And then it's like, I, I thought more and, and, and so I thought more and more about it. Really, when you're using XD, that feels like they forgot that this is an, a collaborative enterprise software, but because they're still right. working towards the solo rockstar designer model. 
Right. And right. and so that's why I think people are still because like envision is like no like you know there's like so many different stakeholders and they've thought about like the process that so stakeholders can have input on all these different you know like phases. Right. And so now I'm I'm kind of thinking more about well I think envision studio maybe the way to go i keep going back and forth you know between sketch and envision studio and and then every now and then xd brings up something that like oh they they're thinking about responsive artboards right. maybe i should give them another chance so where are your thoughts on this whole thing god i don't know i actually just hate all of it and i feel <laughs> like i feel like being i don't know i guess it comes back to the role i mean if we're talking about graphic design whatever that means anymore. Um, what's the role they play versus an information architect versus mm -hmm. a developer? I mean, we're always going to have the unicorn who can do a little bit of all of it. Um, but if it's, if we're focusing on education for GD, assuming they want to get a job and what's their ultimate path. I mean, those vary. Do they want to be yeah. a creative director? Who's a thinker? I guess the thing I, I think about with all these tools is are you, are you so in the weeds that you're forgetting the big picture of everything? I don't mm -hmm. know. Um, and, and so then what's the answer to that? And then the power too, like power for all these apps like Adobe having power or um, it'll be interesting to see where it all unfolds at the end. And we have, we also have a lot of students who are on super tight budgets. Yeah. Um, so we have some students who like, I don't know. I mean, they don't buy the Microsoft suite because they can use Google. Mm -hmm. um, they only use Adobe at school and they don't, they have something else at home. And so I also think a lot about the future of uh, software or um, things that are more, more open access. Like how is that going to evolve? I'm totally not answering your question really because no, I don't because, know how yeah. I've gone down another rabbit hole. <laughs> um, well, no, these are oh. things that like, uh, educators at least i'm struggling with because i could affinity designer affinity photo and now affinity publisher whatever it is like it's literally yeah. for 40 bucks like 120 for all three right. you have right indesign photoshop and illustrator quality right. programs yeah so then now you throw in free envision studio <laughs> do we even need adobe well, and the truth is, if you if I think about things I actually use in Adobe, <laughs> there's like three things in each app. I mean, I don't use any crazy filters hardly ever once in a blue moon. Right. Mm -hmm. So the the amount of those uh, pieces of software that I'm using is so small. And I mean, that's the joke, too, about apps on a phone is my daughter will be like, well, I did that with this free app. Um, and it's, a company needs to make money. I'm not saying it has to be free, but. Um, especially for students, um, cost is, I don't know, it's, it's something to think about too when they're paying for their own. I mean, some schools, I suppose, like we have it on our computers, but for the students that have their own laptops because they're commuting and so on. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have any answers for you, Gary, for that one. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's quite all right because I, 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 I don't know. I, yeah. I, I let the students pick and I just tell them the pros and cons for each. Yeah. And but I to tell know them, what I mean, yeah. if they're adaptive thinkers, because every company I've worked at expects something different or yes. so if you're working at a certain company, but if you're running your own thing, you can do what you want as long as you're articulating to the mm -hmm. client and you, 
getting the end result that they want, right? But I'm thinking about, I told you how my colleagues and I got a curriculum grant. So we're working with 10 industry partners in Chicago and we're having students observe them as they work. Um, and then we're hoping to use that information to rewrite our web curriculum. Our web mm -hmm. curriculum needs needs some help. So th that'll be interesting because we, we're looking at 10 places, big to small, in-house to mm -hmm. not, just to see what they're using at this moment in time and changes in a hot minute, right? Yes. Um, so, and I already feel because it's been, I'm entering my fourth year at DePaul, which means I'm doing much less consulting. Mm -hmm. So I already feel like in three years, what I would have been doing then is totally different than what's happening now, which is part of the reason for doing this research. So we can see, you know, at least across Chicago, how, all, how all these different places are doing it. Um, um, you know what? Again, let's, so I'm going to just say responsive web design. I mean, we're not going to talk about right. app. We're not going to talk about anything else. So responsive web design, six years old. Yeah. Is we, it six? Well, well I, I go by when the browsers could actually, when a designer and developer could write code that could be ubiquitously used. Mm, got you. And, and sure. I, and I, and I go back to 2012. Okay. When God, you, you're good at knowing these things. <laughs> yeah. Well, it might be 2011, but Right. When the last browser like finally adopted like the majority of the stuff Got of it. the standards. Sure. So you can argue, but anywhere from six to eight years is the is what the web design profession is at this point. We don't I mean, any bit any there is no standards for that. Yeah. There couldn't have been. And so I think that's what we're struggling with. And I'm just, you know, Instead of like, like I said, like, where do I fit in the, where do I fit in the information architecture when I talk about it to the students? Um, where do I talk to them about like, okay, when do we need to add a breakpoint to this content? And instead of maybe looking to the industry, is it maybe it's this time that edu design educators who are thinking about this stuff is say, this is when it needs to be. Yeah. Because I think that, I think you're going to go. I, I'm willing to bet that you're you're when you do this study, I think you're going to see that all ten are doing it differently. Uh, no, me too. I totally do. Um, but I'm hoping there'll be some high level, like some umbrella of okay, well, here's what, here's the kind of skills which I I mean I kind of think I know what they are, but I want to prove it. Mm -hmm. um, here are the skills the students need that are across all these places. Yes. Right. Is business thinking, problem solving, um, ethics, uh, future, some speculation of how the product will adapt and change. Um, I mean, I don't know, but loosely. And those, those are hard to uh, map to learning outcomes, <laughs> but um, but not impossible, I suppose. Yeah, I'm going to have to share. I'll share it with you when we're done. June, it has to be done by June. So. Is that when you have to report it back to whoever you yeah. gave you money? Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm luck. the helper on it. So yeah. really, it's my colleague. He's got to make it happen. Yeah. Um, in, the, in, in this, you were on the Why Millie podcast a little while back. Yes. And so yeah. I listened to that episode. And <laughs> um, one thing that you mentioned in that podcast that I kind of like want to see how you're incorporating the classroom is 
return on investment. And I, mm-hmm. I one that I like is key performance indicators. Um, right. How do you attach those to a project? Or, yeah. Uh, well, it, it's easy in like a web class, right? Um, I mean, well, is it easy in a web class? Hmm. It's a, maybe not those two. I suppose it, I suppose it depends. I just also taught a class called client and community. I taught it for the first time. So it sounds like you do a lot of this as well. Mm-hmm. So we worked with a client, we worked with youth job center, 10 week class. Um, and it was the first class where I really didn't prepare any materials. Uh, I wanted to run it 20 students, kind of like a design studio, very much mm-hmm. sapient style. So we had an initial kickoff meeting. We did research, um, proposed solutions for their various business problems. Um, and then we had a midway check-in to show our different ideas. And then at the end, the students all showed their work. Um, and so in that particular class, um, I don't know if we talked about return on investment per se, but we, we were talking a lot of business terms, Mm -hmm. uh, definitely. So that's, you know, and it's funny because I was also thinking about, I was reading, I was reading the DePaul magazine for some weird reason. And they were talking about um, their law school just um, implemented what they call a year three professional thing. Kind of remind me of Northeastern's design school or University of Cincinnati with the co-op thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and just had me thinking a lot about how um, this idea of folding in more professional time is really important mm-hmm. for to learn things like that. Um, and I don't think any school is is really doing enough of it. And then I'm like, do I even want to push that? Because then there's less time learning design skills. I don't feel like our students are always graduating with solid design skills yet yes. either. So what, yes. do, what do you take away from? I don't know. Do you require a five year? Do you do a six month extra thingamajig? Um, I don't know. But we do require this client and community class or some type of experiential learning. And I think I feel like with this client and community class, I don't love any of their final projects, Yeah. but I would like to think that everything they learned in that class is going to really, really prepare them for their first meetings, their first jobs, because they learned how to ask questions, how to mm-hmm. research, how to engage with clients in a variety of types of meetings. Um, you know, they all had their roles in the big meetings. We had a note taker. Uh, we had a meet and greeter. We had someone at the whiteboard. We had someone doing tech. We had someone in charge of snacks. So they understood like to run a good meeting, everyone has a role and it's, it's really clear set expectations, um, and things like that. So I literally just finished that class. Um, and I'm still kind of processing the outcomes from it. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I do something similar. Um, with my web class, it didn't work out this semester, but I get what I like to call a faux client because we can't, obviously they don't need a, you know, just a skin of a website. Right. (laughs) So it's hard to, you know, so I, so what I've done is just, I found somebody who's willing to come in and we have come in like three times maybe. And the first time is just, they need a website or they, they have an existing website that we're going to redesign. Um, and they come in, they get interviewed, you know, like the initial client meeting, like, Hey, what do you need? Let's look at to know your personality. Yeah. And then we go back to them with like the mood boards slash style tiles. And yeah, yeah. And totally. then we say, okay, are we thinking, are we in the same, are we, are we talking the same art direction here? And right. then, and then I like the idea of like element collages where they design the elements first, not the web page first. And so then yeah. I, the client comes back again and is like, yeah, this is, you know, 
you know, get the client approval. And then the very last thing, do like a client presentation. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, it's so good for them. Like mm-hmm. super important. But it, then it, 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 then it, it doesn't leave time for, like you said, like I would love to do like, you know, like the daily UI challenge. Like yeah. literally like you just need to spend time like sitting there designing buttons. Yeah. Yo, yeah. Yeah. Where does that I never happen? thought about that. Where does right. like the, where does like the like the the honing of the visual skills happen? Yeah. Well, in product, <laughs> I mean, I feel like too uh, moving beyond just web. Like, I mean, a lot of a lot of the stuff we did at Fitch and my my colleagues from Fitch who I then worked with at Sapient went to IDEO and went to a place called Essential, and they do things like they consider the interface for a, a gas tank when you go pump gas mm-hmm. or a Xerox machine or, and so I feel like also designers who can who can create interfaces that aren't just web, yeah. um, but our product too. I don't feel, I feel like if a graphic design school did a little more of that, it would also really set their students apart and taking mm-hmm. them out of the web space that they know challenges them to think in a different way. Um, so that's another sort of thing I've been thinking <laughs> about a little bit. <laughs> no, you're right. I mean, right. Yeah. The, I mean, even if I know it's still screen based, but just like, you know, IDEO redid at one point the, the, Bank of America is like ATM experiences exactly. or a TV remote or yeah. what I mean now you have the nest so I suppose it's all kind of melding but I yeah. just think those kind of problems like it's so easy because I, I don't know I guess students pump gas too but when you take them out of the space that they're so familiar with and challenge mm-hmm. them to recreate a product that exists the interface the experience I think those are really good projects for them because they can't like cheat as much you know like it's so easy to cheat on these projects yes just like go look at Pinterest and all that crap so um I don't know I think about that too I guess Ah, yeah. we're, we're saddled with a lot, but I, <laughs> we are. And so we're I keep coming back though, but our students are still getting jobs. Are, are you asking if they are? Or no, are you they, saying are. That they are. They, they obviously right. are. I mean, right. So do we yeah. really need to change? Yeah. Or, or, or am I just like one of those ones that is, is like changing for the sake of changing? I mean, I really have this, I, I do come with this circular argument. I know. Well, you know, it's when you were, when you asked me something in those pre-interview questions and mm-hmm. I was thinking, you know, I could go to RISD <laughs> and maybe this is me being crazy. I could go back to, and to have my same education now and still actually be relatively prepared for a job today because I learned yeah. how to conceptualize, think and be creative. So, you know, that says a lot in, to me mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Did I have lots of holes? Yeah, I don't think I learned enough about image making at RISD. They're very type focused. Did I learn any business skills? No. Did I learn how to strategize for a client? You know, no. But I picked those things up soon enough. Um, so, I, yeah, I was thinking back on that education and thinking, well, yeah, something similar still works. Yeah. So the bones of it seem, seem good um, yeah. in a lot of ways. So I don't know. Right? You know, no, I think, I think it all comes down to like a program needs to, and I'm just thinking of this right now. I think a program needs to kind of pick its identity. And I bring this up because I think when I, and nobody ever told me this, but when I approach my curriculum, I am thinking of a student is going to get a job at a design firm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, freelance is now a profession. Yeah, it is. They would totally. Yeah. And so 
I, I think you kind of have to like decide what you want to train because you can't train all of it. No, you can't. Yeah. But yeah, the, the specialty of each school, right? Are they more arts mm -hmm. and conceptual and creative focused? Are they more UI, UX practically focused? Are they theory focused? I mean, I don't know. Just depends, right? And I mean, mm -hmm. DePaul is definitely trying to figure that out being a, a newer school. I mean, they've had graphic design forever, but it moved from liberal arts into the school of computing. So, I mean, yeah, every school, especially newer programs are trying to figure that out. What's their special special thing right and yeah. and based on the the students that already go there i mean you have to serve them right mm -hmm. uh, the places they desire to work what they're capable of and things like that but that's so. you see that's what i'm 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 now literally for the first time thought this like do we have to serve them to get a job everywhere or is it just like being more upfront in our curriculum right. saying this is what we will train you for whether that's a yeah. design firm whether that's to be a freelance professional whether right. that's to be an in-house designer mm, that's interesting and so it, it contractually up front if the students know this is what you are going to be right is that i don't have an ethical issue with that like not training them for yeah. everything if they know up front this is what we can train you in well, and I think they don't really know. I mean, especially our students, mm -hmm. because um, we don't require a portfolio. They just know they like computers and maybe they like art. I mean, I would like it's it's a lot different than a, when you're at RISD and the students, most of them have loved art their whole life. Um, and so that was a, a huge adjustment for me um, to realize they're, they're, they really, and they didn't have any idea where they wanted to work. Like I said, they just knew they liked computers. Maybe they liked to draw or make graphics or something. Um, it's interesting. And our students, some of them, a handful of them go to like really top firms. Um, but a lot of them are happy as production artists. So we have quite a range in skill um, and, and background and where they kind of where they end up. We're just beginning to get better metrics on that since it's, again, pretty new in the school of computing, but it was just interesting to think about. Um, yeah, no. And yeah. I, 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 so so I introduced that client, like you said, because yeah. they need that like business skills and they need to see that, that process. One thing that I've been toying around with, and I just don't have the, one thing I want to do, but I just don't have the bandwidth to do it would be, let's say, so in my class, I do have, you know, this client introduction so they can see what it's like to interview a client so they can see what it's like to present to a client. And that's right. the only reason I have it is this so they are exposed to that experience. So I, one thing I've been wanting to do is like, you know, get a bunch of local design firms that are willing to have students basically job shadow key pro, you know, projects at key moments. Like mm -hmm. when they first interview the client, you just show up, you know, don't participate, but just listen. Yep. So by doing that, I don't have to teach that anymore. <laughs> and so right. that frees me up to spend, you know, I guess more time how, you know, critiquing the, how they made that form. <laughs> right. Is it a really That's nice interesting. Our, uh, my colleague Leanne runs our internships now um, and she is trying to do exactly that job shadowing. Mm -hmm. And she, she positioned it as you want to, you know, give back to students, but don't have a ton of time, can't offer an internship, would you be willing to host a student in a job shadow? And mm -hmm. I feel like that is so crazy important. Um, I wish it existed, like, even in K-12. We had a thing in sixth grade called 
Marion occupational program and you put down a job you're interested in, you basically shadowed someone for a day. Mm -hmm. They couldn't find me a graphic designer. I actually knew I wanted to do that in sixth grade. And so I (laughs) shadowed an interior designer and I, and I'm not into interiors really at all, but I remember being in her office and she had like pages of color swatches Mm -hmm. and I just was like, I want, this is exactly what I want to (laughs) do. You know, I saw her like drawing and sketching and pasting things together and, um, so it's just kind of such a beautiful idea. Like, I don't know why that doesn't happen more often because how do you really know what a job is like if you've never had a little taste of it? You should have multiple tastes, like figure out your favorite ice cream. I don't know. Well, Um, the the reason it's not happening for me is because who's going to do it? Right. Like who's going to like start it. So I've like informally, I've talked to like three or four different design firms and they're like, yeah, we'd be willing. There's some, you know, there's some non-disclosure agreement issues that we would have to talk through and you know this stuff sometimes isn't planned yeah you know but the the, but the overall premise is like you know over the course of the summer right like assign like two or three or however many students a firm thinks they could handle with the knowledge that they're just sitting they're not interacting Yeah. Um, yeah call them in for like key meetings, whether it's like, you know, like creative mm-hmm. pitch to the client or creative pitch just to the art director. Yeah, totally. And we had that. Oh, go ahead. But yeah, who, I mean like, okay, so then that's me. I have to do it or my colleagues have to do it. And right. it's like, it almost needs to be its own full-time position to somebody to handle that. And where's that money going to come from? <laughs> I know we, we were um, encountering similar issues with, this web grant because we have to deal with the NDA and figure out the best days for students to go sit because they're just observing and taking notes. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of in a way it's like a shadow. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them were like, well, our creative meetings are Mondays, so that would be a good day. Or, but some of them didn't know. And we were kind of like, well, it doesn't matter. We just take what we can get. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's interesting, but I was, I always think about like people love, um, once I don't want to say competition, but you know how, like if a, this is going to sound ridiculous, but you know how if a, a store um, supports a little league team, they get a plaque <laughs> and they mm-hmm. get a picture of the team. Like I feel like if if the company got some kind of certificate or award or something yeah. that said thank you from AIGA does that because I got mm-hmm. a thing that said thanks for being a mentor. And it sounds stupid, but those little things you can hang in your office that remind you that you were actually doing something really good and then once one company does it and you give them some new maryland yes. sponsored then another company will be like oh yeah we want to do that too <laughs> so um there's got to be a method to get these firms on board with like you know wanting to do it I oh guess. no i i mean at least yeah. for me personally all the ones i mean i like i the design firms are totally willing to do it just right. to iron out some of the like logistical questions yeah it's it's me it's like matching up students to firms and you know, oh, like being that, the one yeah, to, yeah. It, right it should be like everybody needs like a director of internship and not yes. a faculty member who's already tapped out yes yeah exactly know. you know in what in fact that's yeah. like the most important role at a school right now with the job market and everything like mm-hmm. someone who really knows how to do that um i know what were you gonna say you know what what no i i, I actually i think i'm gonna go talk to our internship people because we do have a for the university and say I want to set this is what I think would benefit students firms are on board can you be the conduit yeah. for it if I send you the I do the initial poking of the firm and right can they iron out 
yeah, I'm going to go do that. <laughs> I wonder too, if it could be, I mean, this is gets more complicated. This is like a long-term idea, mm-hmm. but if you had like, um, it's some kind of a class and a student has to actually sit and observe at three companies, like an in-house, a small, a big, and they have to do a writing piece about it or mm-hmm. something or some kind of analysis. Um, I mean, can you imagine how valuable that would be for them to actually, yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I, I would, but I, students are bad about <laughs> it. Maybe it's just where I'm at now. Yeah. But. I'll give you a, an example of, so one, there is this, this company called Baltimore in a box, but basically what they do is they take all of the iconic things that are made in Baltimore and put them in a box, a gift box that can be sent out. Oh yeah. Providence does that too. Yeah. I've seen that kind of thing. Sure. And so that was the website that we were going, that we were in theory redesigning and the client came in and talked about it and it's like, you should, I said, well, instead of, you know, having the client come here, let's go to the store <laughs> and do the interview. Right. Yeah. Some of the students couldn't get there. Mm. And it's like, but you, yeah. I, you, <laughs> and I run into that all the time where oh, I can't get there. Yeah. They almost don't understand the, I don't know if it's generational, like they don't have the same go getterness or, or they don't understand like, how important it is. Um, I feel, I feel that all the time too. And yeah. I, and it's not because of DePaul. I felt it at RISD too, um, where it was just like, uh, not a safe, I have a million thoughts on that kind of thing, mm-hmm. but just, I mean, you look at K through 12, the parents are planning all their kids stuff. So the kids mm-hmm. don't know how to even No, It, it, it stems even, from that. It stems from K yeah. through 12. Cause my wife teaches, um, third grade, and she's taught other grades and it, it is a direct result of no child left behind standardized testing teaching to over scheduled kids who don't mm-hmm. even just play and that yeah i mean that's like a whole other podcast <laughs> right yeah. but i know yeah i feel it and so then it's the whole thing do you push for it anyway or do you adapt do you accept that this is just how it is now and i don't know i don't i don't know the answer to that either no but it, it's it's a struggle to get students to go to things yeah off it really campus. is yeah um some of it legitimate because they just don't have transportation and right. so then so then you have to like plan for transportation and it's like right. forget it i'm just not even gonna bother i know <laughs> yep just not even gonna bother because you put all this effort in and then it's like well for what you know yeah that's i know i feel all that too it's super yeah. hard all right so just seeing where we're at on time i'm just going to um ask one more question um, before okay. I let you go. And so this is a, a question that I'm a standardized question, the new question I'm asking each and every guest. So what's one piece of advice you would like to give <laughs> design educators to better prepare students for life post-graduation? Oh, I read that question wrong. When I read it, I thought it was advice I was giving to students. It's advice I'm giving to educators. educators yeah. Oh, damn. Um, and put on your business hat. I mean, you ran a firm for how many years? <laughs> right. Put, I would say do it from that. Per, unless you got something like insightful that came from your teaching experiences. Oh, my God. I feel totally stumped. Um, <laughs> I was just my advice for students was that 
you should like your job is long and hard. You should make sure you're doing something that you love. You know, I mean, that's like the most obvious advice, but nobody ever takes it. Um, so I, you know, I guess the advice for educators is the one I feel sort of across the board in a way is, um, you can always challenge the way things are and rethink mm. them, whether it's things like we were talking about a conference, like why do you have to speak at a podium? I don't really lecture in my classes. They're conversational, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think um, if your gut feels like something doesn't feel right and the students aren't learning or engaging, then there's another way to maybe think about doing it. So um, I tend to have, I like to think I have an open mind in the teaching space uh, because I've been at so many different places. So um, yeah, there it is. No, I, I kind of actually agree with that because I think we do things as educators, I think just human nature, for example, yeah. for the longest time, um, I was grading the way that somebody showed me who I first, like, so in grad school, I was, you know, I was proctoring a class. So I was working with the instructor Mm-hmm. And right. I used her grading method for when I was teaching there. And I, it wasn't till much later on where I was like, wait a minute. I don't have to do it this way. No, yeah, this is right totally. for her. This right. doesn't mean it's right for me. And it definitely doesn't yeah, mean it's exactly. right for my, like giving an A on a, on a project that is like simply, did you do it or did you not do it was yeah weird. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, yeah, I, I think we tend to do that is just we we use what the systems we know and and stop and never stop to think like is this appropriate yeah it's like it's that term it's mindfulness <laughs> yeah no, exactly oh uh, yeah all right so is uh, before i let you go is there anything that you're working on that you want to share or promote or talk about or anything like that um just i'm writing a design futures class for spring and that kind of carries from my MFA thesis from October. So I'm just super excited about that. Um, it'll be, yeah, it's going to be good. It's probably the class I'm most excited to, to teach. So, um, I think it's, it's going to do a lot of the things we talked about, like how, you know, how might you speculate the design of a future gas when you're pumping gas? What is that experience like? What are the ethical underlying things you need to think about? What are the business things? So it's like going to be weird, sci-fi, speculative, but also have kind of a ethical business take as well, at least in my mind. <laughs> I'm still writing the syllabus, but I think it'll be good. Um, can you give us like a little hint of like what that's about? Design for futures? <laughs> um, well, I mean, if, I don't know if you've read a lot. I mean, speculative futures or design yeah. futures or critical design is a is kind of happening you're hearing more more about it um right now um in my thesis that i finished it it did a lot with design fiction so i speculated all kinds of various futures based on automation 3d fabrication augmented reality so i made these fictional stories but with each story i had a lot of footnotes that showed the research and the scholarship that supported how these things were evolving um and and so I like a thesis. How do you even know how you ended up? I don't know how I, that ended up being my thesis, but I loved doing it. <laughs> um, and then realized like it was a class that I wanted to teach in some form or another. And of course, it's being taught. Um, one of our colleagues uh, has taught it at UCLA um, and somewhere else. Carnegie Mellon teaches it. So mm-hmm. 
um, I'm kind of figuring out how I will teach it and how I'll teach it for our students. But the thing I really like about it is um, because these products or these futures don't exist, it allows students to be really creative um, and, it, and it forces them to think about the future implications of the products they're making. Um, and also you can you can tie in things like business uh, users and things like that as well. So I have a lot of hopes for the class. Um, but, you know, the first time you teach something, it's a little bit of a of an experiment. So yeah. um, we'll kind of we'll kind of see how it goes. And in, and in a way, like. I don't want to read too many syllabi that exist. There aren't very many yet um, mm-hmm. because I think there's a beauty in kind of not knowing too much because yeah. I'll come up with my own way of doing it. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm kind of at that point of just seeing how it evolves, but I'll let you know. All right. I'm excited about yeah. it. Sounds yeah. good. I'll have to do yeah. a follow up on that. All right. That's all we have time for today on episode 64 of design EDU today. I want to thank my guest, Heather Quinn for being so generous with her time. I want to thank the audience for listening, and I want to thank the Design EDU today hosting sponsor DigitalOcean and CDN sponsor Fastly for making the hosting and distribution of these podcasts possible. Finally, I want to thank the AIGA and the AIGA Design Educators community for their generous support of my research that led to this podcast series. If you like the podcast, consider leaving a review for it in the iTunes store. To discover more about the Design EDU Today podcast and read the session notes and transcripts, visit the show website at designedu.today. To keep up with the podcast, news, and show releases, you can visit the Facebook page and subscribe to this podcast through the iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify stores. Finally, If you would like to suggest topics for future episodes or give feedback, contact me through the show's email address, hello at designedu.today. Once again, thank you for listening to Design EDU Today.